Good evening, Patriots. And today is Wednesday, May 17th in the year 2023. We're going to kind of step away from some of the stupid tonight. There's plenty of it, by the way. If you're interested, you can tune into Gateway Pundit and you can look at Telegram and you can find all sorts of wonderful things of the lunacy of our world. <laughs> I just, I, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to go a whole show without making some snarky comments. So let's be clear about that. Like this one, Czech man electrocuted with ping pong ball up butt during botched masturbation. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what to say to that. I honestly don't even know what to say. So, um, yeah, that's the world we live in. It's, uh, <clears throat> that's the new normal. Welcome to the new normal. So, Simon, before we get going, um, yeah, before we get going, Patriots, make sure that you're doing all you can to protect your food supply. They are coming after the food. They want your food. They want you to bow to them. Europe's way ahead of us on that part, but we don't want to give them that. And you need you need in your food preps, you need to have those things that you're prepping, canning, doing yourself. You should always have some emergency food base that you can take with you and know that it's going to last forever on the shelf, like 25 years. And that is where My Patriot Supply just comes in strong. Patriots, with all the danger out there in today's world, many Americans are concerned about the very real possibility of prolonged food shortages. That's why I urge everyone to secure a supply of long-term emergency food while you still can. And I highly recommend you choose My Patriot Supply as your supplier. They're the nation's largest preparedness company. And right now, they're offering a special deal when you buy their three-month emergency food kit, which lasts up to 25 years in storage. With each kit you order, you'll receive a bonus package of crucial survival gear worth over $200 for free. The three-month emergency food kit guarantees your family will have peace of mind during a disaster and the survival gear will help you be even more prepared. The kit includes breakfasts, lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks with over 2,000 calories a day. Best of all, this food is tasty. Your whole family will love it. To get your emergency food and your free survival gear worth over $200, go to preparewithbards.com. Preparewithbards.com. Patriots, there's no time to waste. I don't know how many of you are familiar with electroculture. But I've gotten into it, and it's pretty awesome. So there's a lot of theories on electroculture. And it's for those of you who don't know what electroculture is, electroculture is the concept which you're bringing in kind of the Earth's energy into your growing beds or into your growing bags if you're doing that, even into some of your pots and even into some of the greenhouse starters. And the way you're doing it, is there's various theories on exactly, there's really no right way or wrong way. There's just variations. But you're taking copper and you're winding copper. Some people wind copper around a stick and then stick the stick into the ground. Other people just wind copper and then just leave that little tail out. Some people wind copper in kind of a, um, what's well, a cone. So they do like a, they'll do a cone shape. And then there's another version where they do, like two cones put butt to butt, so you go from small to large to small. And so I did this last weekend. I went over to Home Depot and bought a bunch of copper, which, by the way, is not cheap these days. Thank you 
Federal Reserve and thank you for the overspending of our government and thank you for inflation. But anyway, and I just wrapped it around, I used a PVC pipe and I wrapped it around the PVC pipe and then ran a little tail, like a, just once I wrapped it about, I don't know, 10, six, seven coils. And then I just extended a piece straight out the end and then took it off the PVC pipe and put the copper right into the ground with the coils up. Now, it's too early for me to pronounce that this is a massive success. But what I can absolutely say is that everywhere that I have placed it, things haven't gotten worse and they definitely look better, which is pretty impressive because that's only been a few days. I put it in my, I planted potatoes just a short while ago and I put it in the bags of the potatoes. Two of those bags, the potatoes are literally blowing up out of there in big ways. It's really impressive. I put it um, near the blueberries and put a couple of them along our blueberry row. Again, I can't say for you to say to you, yes, this is absolutely working. But what I can tell you is a few days later, I look down. I'm like, man, I cannot believe how many berries are suddenly there. Pretty amazing. So I'm, I'm going to encourage you to look at this sort of stuff because this is kind of like the hidden science of doing this. And someone just asked, is it tubing or wire? I use wire and I use a heavier gauge, not real fine. It's got to be a heavier gauge. I can't remember what gauge I bought, but it's got to be a little bit heavier gauge because it's got to be able to have resilience and stand on its own. And so this is really a good indicator that something pretty significant is here. I've put it along my tomato plants and along near my carrots. Everything seems to be doing great. I put it near the the chard. It looks great. So again, I can't tell you like definitively that's it because I know I have good healthy soil to start with. I've worked hard on that. And some of these things have been in the ground a little bit, so they've already been getting some growing going. And the weather has been good. So those are good combinations of things. But I sure as heck am not going to deny it. I think it's I think it's having very positive effects. And then today I was like a kid with Christmas because I got home uh, from the ranch and I um, my next batch of seeds from Siskiyou Seeds, which is all heirloom and locally grown, grown specifically for the regions of Oregon, great company, or in our zones, which is like seven, seven and a half, zone seven, seven and a half. And I got a whole new packet of seeds. So I've got in here beets and I've got in here some, a new, I need to order some more beets because I didn't have enough in carrots and other things that are going to be planted here very soon. Um, we're going to try to see, oh, turnips. And what else did I see in here today? Parsnips. I'm going to, or I'm going to grow turnips and parsnips this year and peas. I'm going to get peas on a vine. We've got that going. I have a new row we're putting in with six new hundred gallon bags, which is going to be wonderful. It is, there's something very just grounding in being away from the insanity of the news. And unfortunately, that news cycle doesn't help our mental state in any way. And it's given me some time to reflect a lot on things in our world. And I don't know we always have answers for this. I think what we tend to grow up with in our world is we look for things to make rational sense. And because we are so narrowed in our optic of how the world really works, and on top of it, our world is so wholly inverted... We really can't easily 
put things together. I'll give you an example of how crazy things are. And, and I, I'm going to give you just a very like topical summary of something I came across, which I'll, I think I put it up into the family room. I'll put it up tonight just for people to listen to. And it's going to be contentious to people. So like whatever. But there's a guy in from Oregon that's done some research, and his research is a little, he's, he's not as deep as I would like him to be, but he's pointed out something really interesting. He has found, through Oregon and into California, he has found all of these sites that exactly parallel biblical locations and by distance and orientation, even biblical stories, and they're named correctly in the Bible or at least very close. And it goes from Oregon down to Southern Oregon, down to California. And then he takes it on in, the, in this TikTok series. He takes it all the way across the country. Now, I and our, so just so we're not going to have a meltdown, because I always get people that are doing like, what are you trying to say? I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm telling you it's interesting. It's an anomaly. And what I do know is I know enough about the Oregon history and how they settled here. These folks didn't have the geographic presence to be able to name stuff like that because they're trying to survive. So this predates, likely predates them. And there's a whole bunch of strange histories and hidden histories out here in the West anyway. When you start to dig into this, you start to look at like what the buildings in San Francisco looked like in the 1800s. It looked like it took them 50 years to build these stone buildings that suddenly went away in an earthquake and a fire. I mean, it's just, there's some strange stuff. Lots of evidence that there's something very significant that happened up here. And the reason I point this out is that when you look at the Western states, I just find it very interesting how the three most Luciferian states in the Union right now happen to be Washington, Oregon, and California. And the, those are the three states where this guy makes an argument that there is truly, there's a parallel to Scripture in the way places are named and located. And I'm like, hmm. So my question, like I always do, it's like question everything. It's so like, okay, what does that mean? And what could be hidden from us in our plain view that they don't want us to discover or see? And just so we're clear, no, I'm not saying that Israel, stories of Israel don't exist, but you've heard me say from the very beginning that Israel as a country today is absolute 100% psyop. It is intended to take all of our focus away from greater things. It was purchased by the Rothschilds, and they've installed their own Luciferian government. They all come from the Khazarians, and it's there, and they are using all of their power to try to manipulate a narrative, using Revelation as its script to draw people into this expectation that Christ is going to return so that they can be disarmed. And Christians are disarming themselves because of it. And in the process, when I say disarming, it's not just the physical world. It is the spiritual world. We are seeing this happen on, on Fridays when we declare our authorities and we start to see the, the miracles of healing happening. But that should be everywhere. That shouldn't be selective. And yet our faith, to a large degree, especially here in the States, has been completely denigrated to an obedience in a pew and being told how to worship. And that isn't how we should be. And there's this over-obsession of Israel and Jews, and Jews don't exist in the Bible. It is Hebrews. I mean, the chapter is Hebrews. It's not Jews. So I'm clear about that. I'm not going to say they don't exist. I'm just going to tell you the chapter that is there is Hebrews. And we, we focus on worshiping the Jews. 
And it's like, okay, wait a minute, what are we doing here? And I know this stuff makes people uneasy, but these are the questions I ask. And I put it to Father, and I have no problem bringing it. I'm not afraid to ask Father. I'm not afraid to put these to him. And like, and then you start to start looking at things and asking greater questions. But see, the problem that we have in our, in my opinion, I think one of the big problems we have in our faith is we're afraid to lean in and ask the questions because we're so anchored in the specifics of what we see the word to mean. Hear those words, that what we see the word to mean that we are afraid that if we question it, we're going to be challenging our faith. And that's the farthest thing from the truth. This is something that, and I'm, I'm, I'm really wanting this to point the point here tonight, is that I can't explain a lot of the world. It's, there's things that make no sense. I don't understand the science of electroculture. It, for some, it's going to be a hippie science or crazy science or whatever, tint hat science. I don't know. I put in those copper coils, and I just know that things look really good, really green, and really growing pretty fast. So I'm like, okay. I don't know what it is exactly. I know what the theories are behind it. I understand essentially how this is bringing in earth energy. I understand there's a lot more sophistication that some people are doing. Maybe they're having more success than others. But what I'm not going to do is openly deny it because something's happening there. And it's something that I'm going to continue to do because there seems to be positive results. My relationship, though, in the world and everything, I mean, if electroculture works, great. If it doesn't, great. Scripture. I read Scripture. But I also know this the greatest words ever given to me is as we read scripture, scripture will read you, meaning it unlocks things because Father gives us wisdom through the word that we often don't see because we look at one thing. And it's important to read different versions. And it's important to take a look at what's being said in different ways. Probably the worst translation, in my opinion, out there is NIV. Because it's just, it's just like trying to make it friendly to everybody. But I think one of the better translations is NASB 1995. But that doesn't mean I don't look at others, right? AMP is another good one because it's so deep. And it's, it's, if you took an AMP Bible, it would be like twice the size of most Bibles. But the ultimate thing is, is what is our relationship with God and what is our relationship with Christ? So here's an example. I was asked in the chat, last hour. Why do you say Exodus 2.0? Because this doesn't say anything in the Bible about Exodus 2.0. And I said, I know. I absolutely know that. But I also know where those words came from. They didn't come from me. Father put them on my heart. Okay. And so people say, well, yes, but we're at the end. We're waiting for Christ. There's my point earlier. You're waiting for what? Where does it say in there that you shall wait for Christ? Nowhere. It doesn't say anywhere in there to sit and wait. But people do that because that's what they translate. It's not in the Bible. And people take it and do it. And they wait. It's like, I've accepted Christ and I'm going to wait for him to return. That's not our mission. Father put in my heart last weekend in prayer, deep, very clear. We are in a Job moment. That's what I went over Job the other night. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we're in Exodus. I'm sorry, it doesn't mean that we're in Revelation. It means that we're in a trial to literally decide who will put their eyes on God and who will choose Satan. 
And in any way you cut this right now, and if we just take this for what it is, Exodus 2.0 has happened. It's happening right around us. Call it what you want. Exodus 2.0, bifurcation, division of society. Look around. We can't walk together right now. There is a split happening. So when we say, like, that's not in Scripture, well, we may be in some unknown territory right now. And that's okay, because here's what's important. It's our relationship, our true and personal relationship in Jesus and our true and personal relationship with the Father. And that's the only way you're going to get through these times. When we look back on these stories, they didn't know where the story was going to go at the time. What carried them through is their relationship with Father, their relationship with Christ. But because we read the stories and then we like to bring the stories forward and we like to say, well, here is exactly what's going to happen. That isn't the way scripture ever works. None of those stories do that. Habakkuk sits and prays to God and God tells him he's going to bring in the invaders of Babylon. And Habakkuk about loses his mind. He's like, what type of God are you? And God lays it out to him and shows him a bigger picture that Habakkuk couldn't even understand fully. But he arrives at a point at the end, he's like, okay, I get it. No matter what happens as I wait for these moments, you're still my God. I'm still loving you. And it's the only way through. I'm paraphrasing. That's essentially it. So much of this time that we're in right now is about anchoring ourselves about getting ourselves deep in and reading the word and letting the word speak to us, which means letting God open our heart, letting the Holy Spirit flow through us. And we're going to see things that we didn't see before. We're going to understand things we didn't see before. I've shared with you the story of Peter and Jesus. There was a logical thing I could see in that story of Peter and Jesus in the garden. Why? Because I've studied the sword. And I can tell you there is a <laughs> you don't draw a sword easily, you don't draw a sword quickly, and you don't draw a sword and cut off an ear unless you know what you're doing. Because if you try to cut off an ear, you're going to end up in the shoulder or the neck. Unless you know how to use a sword. And then as I prayed through that, Father revealed something very profound in all of that. This, the function, the the a mass mastery of the sword of steel and the mastery of the sword of spirit. Christ demonstrates the mastery of the sword of spirit. And in that story, as I've said before, Peter never gets rebuked for drawing the sword and cutting off the ear. Jesus uses it as a teaching moment to show him the power of the Holy Spirit to heal. But that's not a normal interpretation. But if we're going to get anchored into the stories where people say, well, Peter... Peter drew and he, he, he took a swipe and mistakenly missed. Where does it say that? It doesn't say that. Or the one I've heard in before is this. Well, there doesn't say anything about Peter being a swordsman. Okay. I will guarantee you, I will absolutely guarantee you that in my epitaph, no one will ever write, if a, if a story is ever written about me, no one will ever write about my gun handling skills. It's just not going to happen. Because it's part of my life. It's not part of something I know. Now, if I tell you about some of my friends, someone destroyed his Peter a fisherman. Yeah, so what? I'm a podcaster. I can still shoot. And I shoot well. 
I mean, the, the, the exclusivity of people's thinking is phenomenal to me. It's like we can't humanize people and we can't put things into cultural context. And I, and I don't understand why we do this. this. It's struggling to me because we become so myopic, myopically narrow in our thinking. Take whatever you do really well. Is that all you do? And the answer would be, I hope not. I hope you're able to do many things. I knew nothing about cattle last year. I am learning to be a pretty good cattle person within a year and a lot of study. And there's a lot more to do because I just ordered 15 new books for the library on how to raise cattle without vaccines. We're not one thing. We're not intended to be. What I can tell you is that somebody who is a fisherman is going to be a very manly man. They're going to be extremely strong and fit. And that tells you a whole bunch about the presence of Jesus when he walks up to them and he says, follow me, and they drop their nets and follow him. Jesus is a powerful man, presence and spiritual and physical presence. And he commanded their respect because men just don't follow people. It's not, I think this, this day and age we're in, people are so spineless. You know, they're like, oh, okay, well, he just came up and he gave him a hug and he went away. Heck no. This is a, this is a warrior that walks up to them and, and speaks with a command presence and has a physical command presence that's both spiritual and physical and says, follow me. And it draws these men in to walk away from their livelihood and to follow him. There's so much in our life right now that I'm, and I'm seeing this a lot in, in, in a tremendous amount, actually, of people wanting to cling on to things. The world is falling apart. A world that is an absolute lie. The physical world around us is turned on its head. It's an absolute lie. We have, you heard Juan mention it last hour, and he's absolutely right what he said. The steeples on the church are the, are the dedication to Osiris which is the same as what they mean at the Washington Monument and the same, the obelisk in the middle of the Capitol or a Vatican, the same one that's in the city of London and other places as well. And they've created a blended religion by virtue of that. And yet people don't question it. We're in everything about our world has been tainted and corrupted. And the only way through this, if you're expecting God to bring blessings, you're expecting any of that to happen, this world has to be shaken and brought to its knees. Nowhere in my discussions have I ever said Christ will not return. But when you're living and waiting for that moment, you are not living your duty of what you're supposed to be here on earth for. You're just waiting and marking time. And I guarantee you, the cloud of witnesses is looking down going, what in the heck are you doing? This is a time for war. This world has to be shaken to a point that everything breaks if we're going to really reclaim it. And part of that breaking, even if Christ is to, come, is to return in our lifetime, it is still going to break everything. And that will mean completely relearning everything. That's the truth. 
And so we're in a process right now when so much is falling apart. I'm seeing this happen on so many levels. I'm seeing people that are doing the wrong thing, doing double down on the wrong thing. And I'm convinced that a lot of that is it's the only direction they understand how to go because they've never been introduced to the principles of forgiveness. They don't understand it. So without forgiveness, they go the other way. They double down on their world, which is an unforgiving world. The, the world of, of this modern age is very unforgiving. Try making a mistake. Watch what happens on social media. Watch what happens in the news. Watch how they will excoriate you and burn you, and then they will bring it up forever because it's an imprint that they make within the digital sphere that they can always refer back to. And this is why they collect all your data. A big one of the many reasons, one of the many and important reasons of collecting all your data in every single thing you say, every phone call you make, every voice print that you can grab, every text that you write, which is stored in NSA's data center down in Utah, is so that at one point or another, if you ever step out of line, they can pull that up and they can use it against you because it's not a forgiving world. It's an unforgiving world. And yet... Through Christ, we are forgiven. It's not a world of God. It's a world of the father of lies. So in this process, I'm seeing so much of the clinging on to things, to try to hang on to stuff, to make sense of the world. But the world as we know it and understand it doesn't make sense until you start to let go of what you think you know. So we're back to electroculture. I don't know if it works. I just know that it looks like it's working. I also know that I prayed heavily on the garden. Someone would say, well, how do you know prayer works? We don't always know if prayer works, but we have faith to believe that prayer works. And if we're going to be taking our authorities, then we're going to have to declare our authorities. And we're going to have to take a risk. And we're going to have to lean into things that we may not know will work. It's scripturally correct. But does it say in scripture that I should that we should pray for rain on the border and that there should be flooding? No. But we did. And guess what happened? It's been raining on the border and there's a ton of flooding. Does it say specifically in scripture that we should pray for a person who is having a medical issue? in a hospital that's already taken a vax and that made a choice to walk away from their belief in God and now we should pray for them to heal them and to bring them back? Nope. We have indications that's the right thing to do, but we do it and we see the results. And many times those results are incredible. They're, it's, it's literally transformational. This is the unknowns that we're exploring because so much of what we are and we're supposed to know who we are has been stripped away, willfully lost, all in the pursuit of a material culture that turns things upside down. Rockefellers bought the entire medical education system. They changed every text. They changed the laws to redefine what medicine was so that Herbalism and natural remedies would be excluded as almost quack-type things. They put the doctors through training, teaching them about drugs made from petrochemicals that they knew were more addictive than anything God put on this earth. 
They went to war against hemp to take it away from the people. They've told you that coffee is unhealthy. They've told you that every single possible thing you can imagine is good for you. They've told you it's bad for you. And they've told you the only way forward is your doctor and the medicines. Last week, my dad cut his finger. Pretty badly, in fact. He cut it on the edge of a can of smoked oysters. There is a old school remedy for healing. You take the wound and you smear honey on that wound and you wrap it in a bandage and you let it be. My dad just did that. Exactly. It was a pretty deep cut, almost down to the bone, on his thumb. This morning, he showed me his thumb. There's no scar. This was three days later. There's no scar. You can't even tell it was cut. What is that? There's no manual for it. And yet, that's the power of the world that God gives us that we should know, the knowledge that's there. And that's the power of healing. Someone said, I'm cutting out. Am I, can everybody have volume tonight? Give me a 5-5 five five if you can hear me. Okay, we're good. Fine. So, just making sure. Thank you. So, the, the whole part here is that we're walking into some really interesting spaces right now. We're walking into a place of relearning truly who we are as the sons and daughters of the Most High. And that's, there's not a specific passage in there in the Bible about that. I'm not telling you there aren't passages that indicate that. I'm just telling you there's no specific passage about that. And yet, here we are. There's many things in Scripture that are amazing because they give us deep insight into where we are. Amazing. And sometimes profound insight that takes us through. But here's the other part, and this is where prayer becomes so important, and reading the Word and then praying and letting God talk to us. Hearing him, that's the key here. It's the personal and intimate relationship with our Father, a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus, and really understanding how to feel and move with the Holy Spirit. When we start to bring those things together, there is nothing that stands before you that can stop you, that can harm you, that can do anything. In fact, we become these massive nuke-level weapons of healing and love on this earth that disarm and, dis and de degrade anything the enemy does. But again, look at our programming. Our programming is so heavily about violence. We're not intended to be violent. And yet, the Bible has violence in it. We understand that. That's God-led led actions of violence. But we're living in a world right now where violence defines normal. We're supposed to hate black people, by the way, black Americans. We're supposed to hate them, if you didn't know that, which is ridiculous, but that's what we're supposed to do because they're being told to hate us. So we're supposed to counterswing that and say, I hate you. 
And unfortunately, there's a whole bunch of people that are buying into that garbage. We're getting played by people that are trying to keep us constantly in a loop, in a cycle of not listening to Father and listening to them. And yet, when we step back into the world, the real world, not the world of the narrative, but the world that God created, things get so much different. They get quiet. How many times do you spend just looking at a, just watching wheat blow in a field? Or walking amongst in the grass and feeling it on your feet? Feeling the soil in your garden, what it feels like, how it grows, how it develops, smelling the soil. Watching plants and seeing how they change on a daily basis. Watching the behaviors of animals. When we get back to those basic things, paying attention to the wind, paying attention to the way things function in God's world, the language that we talk to God with even changes. And it has nothing to do with what's in the headlines or the stupid stuff. These people are obsessed with telling you how to think. Barack Obama was in an interview a day or two ago. Literally, in, to paraphrase what he said, was that things used to be better in the time that I grew up because there were only three news agencies, three news outlets, and they, people then understood what was true and what wasn't true, but we, all we had to do then was to discuss the details. Let me translate that for you. There were three news agencies that the people depended on for their news that were controlled by the CIA and other agencies, and we were telling people what was true and how to think, and they were obeying, and then when we told them how, what was wrong, they obeyed and we controlled their minds. How did we get there? That's the my most amazing thing. And I look back on some of these stories that I grew up with even, and I just marvel at a different world that was so much more in tune with what was real. My grandmother used to ride a horse to elementary school. As I recall, she only, it was common at that time. Her education was only to, I believe, eighth grade. And then they would take them, they would go into like a, a trade training, and I think hers was bookkeeping, if I'm not mistaken. But she used to ride a horse as a little girl to and from school. And this is the story she told. She would leave early before the crack of dawn. She'd get on her horse, and she would ride it to school. And then she would come back late in the evening, in the afternoons and evenings, sometimes like near 5 o'clock. And she talks about this. She would fall asleep on the horse, and the horse would take her home. It would duck when the trees were where it needed to duck. It knew the trails right, and it brought her home, and so she would sleep on the ride home. My grandfather played a fiddle, very well known in Montana for his fiddle. He lived in Custer. He would head up towards White Sulphur Springs in that general area, not quite that far, but up in that general area. He would ride 80 miles on his horse to go play in an evening, and then turn around and ride back to go to work the next day. It was no big deal, but it was real. It was connected. 
There's a different balance of things. We've been channeled into a world right now that's defined by McDonald's drive through Amazon Prime, and an expectation of taking a pill and getting everything better. And then, of course, instant payout through digital means so that you have your money whenever you want it. And don't forget debt and credit cards because when you don't have money, you just keep buying and you get yourself further in debt. But who cares? Because it's only 21% interest and it'll only take you five years to pay it off, but no big deal. And it keeps us locked into the work that we do, slaves to work that many most people hate their job. That's not God's world. So when I talk about an Exodus 2.0, as God placed on my heart, and I look at this and I go, wow, we need an Exodus. We need an Exodus that literally has to leave the world that we're enslaved to to go another place. That's literally what is happening right now. And I can't find the words in Scripture where it says man will go through an Exodus 2.0. I just know what God put on my heart, and I know what I see. But what I do know in all of that is that my faith and my love in the Father, my faith and my trust and love in Jesus has only become deeper, more profound, more insightful, greater, and more rewarding than I could have ever imagined. And that to me is really what all of this should be about, the Job moment. For us to be tried and tested in a way that where literally Lucifer is given reign to do whatever he wants to do to Job. But Job, only thing he can't do is lay his hands on Job. But Job loses everything. And Job does exactly what God knew he would do. He turned deeper to him, not to Lucifer. Our sanity is not in the digital space. Our information, our worship, our prayer in this channel is there, and it's really amazing. And I think, actually, it's very profound. And here's another example. I mean, we go against every single possible odds. We've developed a fellowship in a digital space, space that spans the globe where people truly are finding connection with Christ and the Holy Spirit. And what's most profound about that? It's not because people are in a pew. It's because they're in the world, letting the church live within us and grow beautifully with us and Christ to embody us in such a profound way. We're freed, not bound by the dead stone walls, not bound by a skinny jean pulpit, not bound by the images of a limperous Christ, not bound by a faith that's being taught that it's love at any cost and peace at any cost, but instead it's been a trial, an amazing one, in fact. Three years of a brutal one, in fact, and some more than others. And so that leads me to yet another one of these questions that is constantly on my mind with Father these days. What do you say to people? What is the, what's the reason? And these are multiple questions stacked. What do you say? What are the reasons? Why is it? that some people during this crisis have lost so much and others have lost little to nothing. How does that make us equal in the body of Christ? It's just a rhetorical question for to ponder. How is it that somebody that loses their entire family to COVID or to the shot or to crises that, that come in the same period that's left with a massive amount of pain and heart and bearing on them on a daily basis, 
How is it that that becomes an equality within the body of Christ as someone that lived off the grid, didn't have to deal with anything, loves Christ just as much? I'm not giving any, I'm not comparing. I'm just saying these are questions I ask Father. What, what is a type of world like that? And ultimately, I think where we come down to is that because we don't know who we are and because we don't have a relationship that's true with our Father, and because we don't appreciate the measure of being the children of the Most High, and because we are so deeply anchored and rooted too often in the physical and material world, these times, these examples I give become very difficult for us to navigate and or rationalize. But there is one thing that brings us through it all. Love thy neighbor. And then there's another. Faith and trust in the Father. So I don't understand. I'm being honest with you. I can't explain the different journeys of life. That's not my role to do. But it's profound when we watch it, how somehow in all of this crazy mess, once we get some distance from the event, everything somehow makes sense. Because that's the perfection of our Father. And the one thing that's exceedingly clear is that in this whole time, we have seen this continued migration against all odds, even when we said it wasn't going to happen or questioned how it could happen. I mean, you go back seven years and you tell me if you were seven years ago, you'd be sitting here today going, I'm seeing a rise of a true remnant anchored in Christ that's going to lead this nation back. We might have said it would be cool if there was one. I would like to pray to think there could be one. But we're witnessing it today, and everybody listening to this show is part of that. And that road from back then to here, I'm telling you that this is like the metaphor I give is when I got my Jeep in the, couldn't get my Jeep, almost couldn't get my Jeep out of the field. I went down to feed the cattle. I told you this a few weeks ago. Made the incorrect air mistake of driving into the wet field with my Jeep with a trailer loaded with hay. By the way, the trailer is still in the field. I'm trying to get it out next week. It's finally drying up enough. I didn't bury my Jeep. The wheels, the tires in their knobs and their muddies, their good mudder tires, just took in all this mud and they became slicks. And I remember sitting there and I, I'm sitting there and I have a choice at that moment of being frustrated and angry or just laughing. And I chose to laugh. And I'm like, all right, Lord, I have no idea how I'm going to get out of this. But I'm going to figure it out. And I'm just going to keep working diligently at it. And I'm going to keep trying everything I have. And I didn't even have like traction pl planks, which are, you can put them under tires. I had this, these ramps from the heavy duty ramps for the back of my trailer. So I'm using those to try to get a little bit of traction. And I'm moving like three feet at a time, moving, inching the Jeep closer and closer, but still too far to hook up my winch. And I have no idea how I'm going to get out of this. And I don't have anybody I can call right at that moment. And my phone rings. And it's my neighbor across the way. It's his sister, in fact. Hey, Scott. I actually know it was, it was his sister that came over. But it was my neighbor, Paul. Hey, Scott, are you stuck out in the field? I'm like, how did you know that? He goes, oh, my worker was out here on the, on the property. He looked over and said he thought you were stuck. I thought you'd give you a call. Are you stuck in the field? I go, yeah. He goes, I'll be right over. And together we got the Jeep out four hours later. 
it's the trial. I had no idea how it was going to end. I didn't. I at one point thought, okay, I may have to leave the Jeep there and abandon it for tonight. But see, there was that juncture, that moment. I could have gotten angry. The story wasn't written yet. And I think that that's a part of something we miss a lot of times. Sometimes I don't think the story is written as we think. We always like to say God knows all. He does. But if God knew everything and everything was planned out perfectly, then we would really have no function here, would we? How would we grow? How would we mature? God gave us free will. If you've given somebody free wills, it doesn't mean that every single thing you do is already planned. Now, the New Agers don't believe that. The New Agers believe that all of our souls are predestined towards where we're going. Everybody that was a New Ager in the New Ager view that took the shot had already decided they were going to take the shot in a, in before they arrived to earth. And that was their plan and destiny because they knew that at the end of that time that they would all go their way, which is this 3D world. And the ones that didn't take the shot and were stronger would ascend to a 5D world, all this nonsense. No accountability, no repentance, no forgiveness, just it was predestined before we got here. Nice little package of confusion. I don't think our God is like that. I think he marvels at our growth. I think he's sad when we walk away. I think it, it pains him when we don't include him. And I think it, he is elated when we open the door and invite him into the table. I think in those times when we turn to him and we learn to turn to him for everything, he starts to roll out the wisdom that he wants us to have, but our hearts have to be ready. And I think right now there is so much joy in heaven right now on a large scale to see so many people finally doing that and turning to him and saying, Father, what do I do? Where do I go? Guide me, lead me, and I'll trust in every step. Because I can tell you, if in my own prayers, there is a point in this whole process that we were walking that literally there was rage and tears in heaven, and I shared that with you. I mean, for, for the angelic level, they're looking at human beings going, what the hell is wrong with them? How could they possibly turn their back on Father? How could they be so defiant, so obstinate, so insolent? How could they be that way to, a, to the greatest of all, the, the God of all things, the Lord of hosts? How could they do that? And at the same time, pleading to him, Father, please do something. We have free will. We have an amazing time in which we live. There's huge opportunities to lean in and move forward. There's miracles to be discovered and to be part of. We are needing to when this is going to be one, I shall say, because we're going to declare our authorities, not because some little hotshot white hat team is going to go arrest everybody and make it all better and give us a Band-Aid and give us a lollipop and go home and take two ibuprofen and a Tylenol and we'll all be good in the morning. It's not going to happen like that. It's going to happen in an amazing way of us truly stepping in, leaning in. There's a transition we're in right now as humanity. It's a tough one. So many are still asleep. So many are still needing the idol worship of politicians to lead them out. And fortunately, there's at least some that are going in the general direction to help lead people out. But it's not going to be solved by Trump. It's not going to be solved by Juan Osaban. It's not going to be solved by anybody else but us and our Father. And Jesus has got to fill us and the Holy Spirit has to be with us. And we have to start declaring who we are and living in the world as we are to learn again what it is to be the children of the Most High. And when we do that, 
<laughs> yeah, your plants will grow big on electroculture. Your whole world will change like electroculture. You'll get giant and big in the mightiest of ways because you won't be seen as just you. You'll be seen with the light of the Christ moving through you and the Holy Spirit flowing through you. And Father will be smiling. That is what's so amazing. So in this time, when it seems like everything's against you, it seems like the world has come at you. Some people have been hit so hard, I can't imagine what it is. But here's some things I absolutely know. We are never intended to be alone. Christ is always with us. We always have access and filled with the Holy Spirit if we want us and want to. And God and our Father is always listening. But amongst us, we are supposed to raise each other up. Iron sharpens iron. Because that is what really, if you think about that scripture, why it's so important, it isn't just about me. It's because sometimes the enemy gets an, a foot up on things and waylays somebody and expects that person to fall but that person can't fall if the community comes around them and says, no way, we shall pray for you, we shall raise you up, we shall carry some of your burdens with you, and we shall help you through. And guess what? That is the plan. If there is one, that would be it. Life is really very, very good. It can get very, very dark for some. But if we come together, we love thy neighbor, that darkness goes away. There's peace brought again, calmness within the body of Christ, miracles of healing that are witnessed by others that are drawn to the true power of the supernatural God, that Lord of hosts, and when we step into that place and we start to take in the wisdom that's poured in, the natural wisdom, whether it's healings or whether it's electroculture or whether it, whatever that is, God is going to pour upon us the wisdom that we need to raise up a world that will be in a greater reflection of him. Not a world designed to exploit, destroy, mine, till, wipe out, kill, maim. That's Lucifer's world. And it's really pretty small in the scope of the universe. But we're really great and big in the scope of the universe as long as we stay with our Father. Invite Him in. Dine with Him. Share each and every walk. Share your pain. Share your joy. And that is literally where I want to end this tonight. Be honest in your heart to Father. No matter what happens, if you end up talking to Father and you're swearing up a storm and you're throwing stuff at a wall and you're chopping down a tree, I don't care, shooting targets. If you're talking to him with an honest heart and telling him you're doing it and asking him for your guidance, but you've got to be honest with him for you to know him. Don't be shaped by the perfect little Christian sitting in a pew, the only praise to Father in delicacy. Father is pretty big. He's pretty rugged, rugged, he's pretty mighty, and he knows damn well how difficult this world is. Don't ever forget that. 
and he doesn't expect you to walk alone with it. He didn't sacrifice his son with the enormous levels of pain that he went through without understanding how awful this world could be. And that's what we have at our access is somebody who is truly that amazing where the Holy Spirit can truly fill us, heal us, empower us, and the authorities given to us by Father's Son, our Savior, have given us authorities to do even greater works than He. I can't think of a better time, place to live. I can't think of anywhere in the universe I'd rather be than right here and right now. And when we come together and work like that amongst us and outside of us to others that need it, that's what we call moving mountains and the faith of a mustard seed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. And thank you for these moments that we share. And thank you for just the blessings poured down upon us. Father, you know very well how difficult this world can be. Tonight, my prayer is a very personal prayer for everybody. And it's this, it's simple. I just pray that each person will greet you at the door and invite you in to take a seat at the table and to dine. And not once, but every breath throughout the day, through everything we do to share this walk with you in the most profound way that we can have these conversations, experience the wisdom, experience, have you experienced the joy, the pain, all things about us, and to make the commitment and effort to do so intentionally, not to take it for granted. And then, Father, I pray something even more. I just pray that for every person in the terms of seeking your face, to have that encounter with you. That's the most humbling and profound moment that literally breaks you, that leaves you in tears, that puts you on your knees, that humbles you in such a profound way, that gives you that comfort and gives you that overwhelming presence to such an incredible level that you just realize, one, how small we are, and yet equally how great we are, for we are made in your image and perfection. And I pray that for each person that hears this, and even those that may not hear it, but seek it. I declare that, Father, by authorities given to me with greater works than he. And for all those that confirm, we'll hear an amen. Thank you, Father. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Patriots, not an easy world. A painful one, in fact. Too often painful. Whether it's the children, or whether it's the elderly, or whether it's just daily life. And we all feel it. But the one thing we know is that Father understands. And as we go through this, He's watching He's listening, and he's asking, waiting better to be invited in. That's pretty amazing. Open the door. Make a table setting 
invite him to a seat at the table and dine to the glory and pleasure of your heart. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I hope you have a very blessed evening. I'll see you tomorrow or until the next time. We'll be there. Thank you. Good night. God bless. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deepest end. Oh, I want to feel something. Let me get back in my body.
feel.